often have uh, someone come forward and share a testimony. Sometimes that is a person who's associated with a mission or a, a missionary that we know. Um, today, it is my bride, Melanie. And um, in our relationship, here, Mel, you can have this one over here. In our relationship, I'm the one who got all of the excitement for speaking. Um, I love it. It makes me come alive, and I've got passion for it. Melanie has the same thing, but it's usually with first graders. Um, smaller, smaller kids. Smaller kids, <laughs> but sometimes the same size room. Melanie teaches first grade at Oxford. We, uh, here in the beginning of July, we will be married 21 years, which is a long, long time. And um, wow, that's, there you go. Thank you, Buzz. I wasn't fishing for that. My pause was because I didn't know what to say next. It, it was, but, but thank you. Yes, um, praise God. But um, some of you remember uh, Melanie was scheduled to share a testimony on Mother's Day a couple of weeks ago, and then she got violently ill the night before. Again, a strange thing, spiritually speaking. One of the benefits speaking. of teaching first graders. One, yes, <laughs> yes, Melanie gets, gets exposure to every germ. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, question, the question that we often ask when someone is sharing a testimony or talking about a mission is, okay, what's God doing lately? So Mel, what's, what's God doing? So I wrote down what I'm going to say, so I'm just going to read it. Um, Even though I believed in God for a long time and made the decision to follow him many years ago, acknowledging the voice of God in my life is a more recent discovery. Looking back, I can see how God was speaking even if I didn't fully understand that it was his voice I heard. Then during a trying time in my life, I heard God's voice in a way that I hadn't before, and I knew it was him. Jesse and I had been married for only a year when Jesse graduated from seminary and became the pastor at Media Now Waterway Church. Many of the churches that Jesse had interviewed at were older congregations with few young families, but Media was different. We were young, only in our mid-20s, and were hoping to be at a church for a long time. Media was also close to my parents and his parents, so it seemed like a great place to settle down and start a family. I was tired of starting over at a new school and teaching a different grade, so I decided to work part-time. It seemed like the perfect time to start having kids. A few months had gone by and nothing had happened. I went to a doctor for a checkup and the advice was, it can take up to a year, don't worry. Then a year goes by. I went to the doctor again and he decided it was time to start running tests. Jesse and I began the long journey of doctors poking and prodding to find reasons for why I wasn't getting pregnant. I remember lying in bed one night, unable to sleep. I was thinking of everything we were going through and all the emotions that were starting to overwhelm me. So I asked God, will I ever get pregnant? His answer was clear, direct, and calming. The answer I heard in my head was, you will be a mother. I thought, that wasn't the question I asked. I asked if I would get pregnant. The answer again was, you will be a mother. I thought, well, I can't be a mother without getting pregnant, so I guess that means I will get pregnant. The voice was silent. I wanted to hear God say what I wanted him to say. I asked a question I thought had only one possible answer, yes. God had a different way to answer my question. Even when I was hearing God speak in my mind and in my heart, my own self got in the way of understanding what he was saying. I tried to twist the voice into what I wanted it to say instead of just listening. The next several years of infertility were rough. Lots of people at church were having kids and starting to ask when we were going to start having our own children. Jesse and I were starting to have nieces and nephews, which made family get-togethers harder to go to. 
Friends were getting married and having babies years after Jesse and I walked down the aisle. Friendships were struggling because we didn't fit into their stage of life anymore, and being around them was a painful reminder to us of what we didn't have. Crying was a regular part of my life, and not just a few tears rolling down my cheeks, but sobbing. Jesse struggled in a different way than I did, and so I felt very alone. I felt like no one knew or could relate to my story and my struggles. Even the few people I knew that were struggling or did struggle with infertility reacted and processed things different than I did. One time during a crying episode, I was looking at my swollen red eyes in the mirror. I heard another voice this time, but it was not God's. I knew it wasn't God's voice because I didn't have the same sense of peace I had the last time. This voice said, you will never be a mother. When I looked into the mirror, into those red swollen eyes, I saw the eyes of a scared, rejected child. Again, the voice said, you will never be a mother. I looked into the eyes and asked, so I'll never get pregnant? The voice was quiet. I asked it again, I will never be pregnant? This time I heard the calming, peaceful voice, and it, was, and it said, you will be a mother. I looked into the eyes in the mirror and said, you will be a mother. Through the years of emotional ups and downs, I also went through ups and downs with God. Sometimes I drew closer to God, at times I pulled away. Sometimes I sought after God and praised him through the pain. Sometimes I went through the motions of following God, but didn't feel a connection. I think Jesse and I went through similar ups and downs. At times we were connected and shared in the struggle together. Sometimes he didn't react the way I thought he would or should, so I pulled away. Through it all, we still communicated. We talked about the hard feelings. We talked about the times I was so low that it was impacting all aspects of our life. We talked about the times that Jesse refused to acknowledge his emotions or hurts by pretending there wasn't an issue. And we refused to blame each other. This was our problem and our infertility. If it takes two to get pregnant, it takes two to not get pregnant. We learned how to communicate because even though we processed and dealt with things differently, this was a trauma we were going through together. We learned how to listen to each other and not expect the other person to react a certain way. We learned to pray and wait for God. On Jesse's first sabbatical, we took a much-needed pastors and wives retreat in Wisconsin. We stayed at a house with four other couples. We ate one meal each day with the other couples, but the rest of the time we were on our own. There was no TV and only a few recreational activities at the house. Mostly, Mostly we followed a Bible study path for a week, read, prayed, and rested. One night, we went out to the nearby town to buy a pregnancy test, something we still did from time to time. In my heart, I was thinking, what a perfect place to finally find out we were expecting a child. What a perfect way to glorify God and have as part of our testimony. The test was negative, and I lost it. I cried myself to sleep that night. Needless to say, I didn't sleep very well. I would wake up and start crying again and asking God what I was doing wrong and why he wasn't giving me the desires of my heart. I wanted children as long as I could remember. Our church was bursting with children. I didn't understand why us having kids wasn't part of God's plan. Then in the early hours of the morning, God spoke again, this time very plainly and very loudly. The story of Abraham and Isaac came to my mind, the part where Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son that he had wanted and prayed for and was given to him after a very long time of waiting. I saw an image of Abraham walking up a hill with his son, Then I saw Isaac on the altar with Abraham standing over him, knife knife in both hands above his head. I heard God saying, I need you to sacrifice this dream of getting pregnant. 
But I knew the story of Abraham and Isaac well enough to know that God provided a ram and Abraham didn't actually have to kill his son. So I asked God where my ram was. I said, I love you, God, and I want to follow you, so where is my ram? When do you say that I've waited long enough and now will be pregnant? God said, no, I need you to actually kill this dream. I need you to put the knife through this dream, this desire. Now, because all of this was so real to me, I started speaking out loud. I started saying, no, God, it hurts. Please don't make me do that. It hurts too much. This woke Jesse up, and he asked what was wrong, what hurt. I couldn't answer him or explain anything, and eventually he went back to sleep. (laughs) I was crying and saying, please, God, what you're asking hurts too much. And then I heard him say, if you kill this, I have something different for you, something that will bless you. You must trust me. My crying slowed. I felt God's peace wash over me. I felt rest. I couldn't explain this to Jesse right away. All I told him was that God spoke to me, and I was trying to figure it all out. Over the next month, I really tuned into God. Jesse and I were at a standstill as far as what we, were, what we should do moving forward with infertility. Prior to our trip, we had, been, had seen a specialist and didn't really feel called to or at peace with IVF. We had also gone to a foster care orientation, but again, didn't feel called to or at peace about that option. After our retreat, I felt God speak into my heart about adoption. I felt like this was what he meant when he said, I have something different for you. Jesse and I had briefly talked about adoption before, but didn't really feel like this was something we wanted to do. I was nervous and scared to tell Jesse about my change of mind or the way I felt God changing my heart. What if he didn't feel the same? What if I told him and he rejected it? What if I just thought I heard God speak, but it was really another voice instead? We were on another road trip, this time for our seventh wedding anniversary, when I decided to put myself out there and tell him how I felt God speaking to me. I started the conversation saying, I'm going to tell you something, but I don't want you to comment or respond. I just want you to listen. I want you to take some time to pray about it, and then we will discuss it after a few days. I told him everything. I told him the details about the vision I had when we were in Wisconsin. I told him how I felt God telling us we should move forward with adoption. Jesse listened, and he did not comment. I felt at peace because I knew that it was from God, like I felt it was, God would work in Jesse's heart just like he had worked in mine. After a few days, we discussed it. Jesse didn't have a vision or hear God's voice like I did, but he did feel the peace. I think God knew what each of us needed to get us on the road to adoption, and he gave it to us. I won't go into the details of Bree's adoption story because that is her story too. What I can say is that God was in the details. The way God brought Bree into our lives was different, but oh, what a blessing. I had to go through years of heartache, but God led us at the perfect time and in a perfect way to bring Bree into our lives, and for that I'm thankful. There were a few bumps that showed me that I need to continue to trust God and need to hold Bree with a loose grip because she's God's. He's got her. Our story isn't over. After we adopted Bree, we thought we would adopt more kids right away. Those situations didn't work out. I never thought I'd raise an only child, but God thinks that we should. I continue to make plans and pray about those plans. Sometimes my plans go exactly as I thought they would. Sometimes they don't. I'm still, leaning, I'm still learning to lean into God and trust him that his plans are indeed better than mine. I'm learning to listen to God's voice and try my best not to put my own spin on what I hear him saying. I am amazed at how God can heal a heart. 
I rejoice now when I find out someone is pregnant, something I was unable to do for many years. My desire to get pregnant has been replaced with my desire to serve a God that can do such amazing things. I realized that the desire of my heart was not to have children like I thought it was. My desire was to be a part of people's lives in different stages and to have an impact. I get to do that from holding babies in the nursery, teaching groups of first graders how to read, and sitting with couples going through premarital counseling. Maybe I don't have the same influence as a parent, but I think that God is still using me. My family is just a lot bigger than I could ever imagine, and I think that is the promise God whispered to me many years ago. If you let the dream of being pregnant die, I will give you a different blessing, but it will still be a blessing. Some of the blessings came through adopting Brie, but some of that is coming through God using me in people's lives that I couldn't even imagine. So I'm excited to know our parenting story isn't over. God is using Jesse and me, and maybe I won't know all the lives we've touched until I reach my heavenly home. All I know is that God made me a mother, and he is using me as such. <laughs> I, I can't say anything except amen, <laughs> and I love you. Thank you for sharing, Melanie. Um, the story that Melanie shared is um, her story, and it's our story, and it all weaves into part of God's story, right? Um, how many of you, regardless of the issue, how many of you have ever been at a spot like Melanie was, like I was, where what you're dreaming about is not becoming real? Some of you are in that spot right now. But how many of you can identify with that feeling of, why not? How many of you can identify with that feeling of, that looks so good, that looks so holy, that looks so godly, that looks so common. Everybody else does this so easily. Do any of you go through any of those kinds of things with your life, like Melanie did? And have any of you ever had to walk through the pain of seeing a dream deferred or a dream killed? You know what we're talking about. Again, might not be the same issue at all. But you know what we're talking about. When our plans don't line up with God's plans, sometimes those are little things on the calendar and we just move on and everything's fine. But sometimes these are the big core things of life that hit us so deeply, that, that seem to get right to the very center of us. And we wonder how we could even go on if that dream's not realized. I guess I'm gonna to try to preach a sermon right now. I've been excited about this day for, for a while. But Melanie referenced the story of Abraham. And I can really remember clearly some of the talks that we've had about that story. But I, I wanna go through a little bit of this Abraham story with you today. And, and then I wanna talk a little bit at the end about how can we all together make sure that we are hearing from God and that we're able to block out and disregard the voices that are not God's? Because I think you were able to hear Melanie say that God very clearly spoke to her 
and spoke to us a few times, but God's voice was not the only voice trying to get our attention. Sometimes our own thoughts and feelings creep in. Sometimes, sometimes the evil one tries to have his way. All right, let, let's talk about this together. I want to read for you a quick passage, a quick couple of verses from Genesis chapter 12. This gets to the beginning of the story of Abraham. Genesis, of course, the first book of the Bible. And this talk with Abraham is, oh, it's about 2,000 years before Christ, about 4,000 years ago. This is really early history stuff. But God spoke to Abraham, and in Genesis 12, verse 2, he said, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's God's initial promise in Genesis 12. And then in Genesis 13, 14, 15, 16, there's more of the story, and Abraham's life unfolds. But in chapter 17 of the book of Genesis, we find Abraham, who's 99 years old, and he has this promise from God that, that he is going to have a great nation come after him, but he's 99, and he has no children. He and his wife... Sarah are still not parents. They are still without the child that God promised. And yet, in Genesis 17, starting in verse 4, God says to Abraham again, you will be the father of many nations. God even changes his name. You will no longer be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And then God goes on, Genesis 17, verse 6, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. This is the promise of God in Genesis 12. This is what Abraham was looking forward to, but this was not Abraham's reality, even until he was 99 years old. Now, I don't think any of you in this room are older than 99, are you? If there is, if you were older than 99, would you give a big shout and jump up in the air and let us know that you're here? Okay. We know that in these biblical times, people lived a little longer than we tend to now. But but yet, let's understand, 99 years old and without children is a pretty tough spot to be. There was a time where we were 29 years old without children. That felt difficult. 99 is quite a struggle. This is the beginning of the story of Abraham, and now we get to Genesis 22, which is our main study for the day. Sometime later, that is, after all of these promises had been delivered, after God had been very clear with Abraham, and after God had spoken to Abraham and his wife a number of times about what life was going to be, sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now, in the scriptures, often we hear of God testing people. God does not tempt people. God does not put bad things in front of folks to see if we'll do bad things. God doesn't tempt. Only Satan does that, and and in fact, sometimes our flesh leads us to those temptations. God does not tempt, but God does test. Abraham heard God and said, here I am. And then God said, verse two, take your son, your only son, because part of what happened in Genesis 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, is that in fact, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, did have a son. They had a son together. His name was Isaac. But this is their only child. 
This is the one through whom apparently God was going to build this nation. This is the first of Abraham and Sarah's descendants. This is the promise. This is the answer. This is the miracle. This is the dream. But in Genesis 22, 2, we record God saying, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And so God speaks to Abraham. Some of this is very explicit. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Four descriptions of this boy. Your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. But, but some of it is still kind of vague. Go to the mountain, I will show you, right? God is leading somewhat explicitly, but somewhat mysteriously. And think for a moment about about what God is saying to him. Not just the fact that God spoke, not just the way that he said it, but the content of the message. Isaac was everything. The only son, the one who would inherit it all. The one who brings meaning and purpose to his parents. This is the gift from God. This is the promise. This is God's plan, right? God has been saying, I will give you descendants. And there's no descendants without a first descendant. Do you understand what is happening here? God says, kill this dream. God says, kill your son. And as bizarre as it sounds to us, as much as we might, huh? Abraham simply says, here I am. And we see that verse three, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about early in the next morning. Abraham went. He had his assignment, so he went to work. On the third day, verse four, on the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. God continued to speak and show him where to go. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So here's Abraham and look what he says. Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Now, by the way, just we don't know exactly how old Abraham is or how old Isaac is at this point, okay? He says, stay here with the boy, but how many of you are men in your 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s, and your father or mother still occasionally calls you my boy, right? We'll get into this in just a moment, but but get the picture here. Abraham is saying to his servants, stay with the donkeys. We're going to go over here and worship for a while. And then he doesn't say, I will come back to you. He says, we will come back to you. Abraham has this assignment from God. Kill your son, the one who is the gift, the one who is the miracle, the one who you could not have had without me. God says, but I want you to kill the son. Abraham is still holding on to this hope that something else is gonna happen because he knew God's promise. And he saw God's provision and now he's just in this awkward spot. He's saying, well, I've got to be obedient, but you can see some of his hope, can't you? We will come back to you. In verse six, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. Now we get a picture. How old is Isaac? Isaac is old enough to carry a pile of wood that's big enough to light a fire to kill a human. Isaac is at least a teenager. A lot of scholars and thinkers think Isaac was probably in his 20s, maybe even in his 30s at this point. Isaac's a man. Abraham says, this is my boy. But Isaac's a man, because you see what's happening here. Abraham, who's over 100 years old, Abraham carries what? The fire and the knife. Two little things. But the boy 
carries the load of firewood. Now, if you can take your heart out of this for a minute and just think practically, this is the picture of a strong son carrying a pile of wood, and he knows what it's all about. And this is the picture of an older father carrying the lighter load, and he knows what it's all about. And they went together. See, this is not just a story of Abraham's faith, but of Isaac's faith too. Because let me ask you, some of you young bucks, if a 100 or 110 or 120 or 130-year-old man were to say to you, carry this wood for me because I'm going to tie you up and light it on fire. What would your response be if you weren't convinced that this was all from God? I, I can think of a number of responses that I might even have. Well, good luck catching me, old man. <laughs> you and whose army? But what happened? What actually unfolded. Verse six, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, here for the first time we hear Isaac speak. Verse seven, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, father. Yes, my son. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac is putting pictures together. Abraham answered, verse eight, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Oh, maybe Isaac doesn't have the full picture yet, right? But yet he's willing to follow his father into this strange event. Abraham still having hope. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. See, Abraham had a picture of what we would see in Jesus two millennia later. Abraham saying, you are my son, my only son, whom I love. And a sacrifice is going to happen. See, God knew what he was calling Abraham to do. And the beautiful thing here is that God is not calling Abraham to do anything that God himself wasn't willing to do. As we're going to see, Isaac is spared Isaac is not killed. God intervenes. But with God's son, the perfect lamb, that sacrifice did die. And God gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him, his name is Jesus, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God isn't, isn't just kind of casually taking Abraham through some gut-wrenching test. God is speaking to Abraham. God is speaking to the father of all of these people who would then be known as the Israelites or the Jews. God is speaking to Abraham and giving him a picture of exactly what love looks like because God gave his son. But here Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went on together. Verse nine, when they reached the place God told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac. Again, Isaac, who was probably as big as and who was likely stronger than him. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. If Isaac was strong enough to carry the wood, was he strong enough to resist? I think he was, but he didn't. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Oh, sometimes we don't like God's timing. Melanie told you a story 
about our life and how we had a desire for things to happen much more quickly than they did. How we had a desire for, for things to be revealed now. Let's see the plan now. If I just know that there's a plan, I can live with this and go through this. Abraham has been living and walking through this and he's got hope. But until this very moment, right on the precipice of death, until now he's simply been obedient, but God cries out at the right time, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Abraham replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me. Your son, your only son. Abraham looked and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrifices it a burnt offering instead of his son. That's the picture that Melanie was talking about. God, there must be something else to sacrifice because what you're calling me to sacrifice hurts too much. What you're calling me to sacrifice doesn't make any sense because God, this seems to be where you've led me. God, what you're calling me to sacrifice is, is not what I want. Some of us are looking around for the ram before we need the ram. But here with Abraham, God said, Abraham, I know you love me now. So take your son, free him, and then there was a ram. So Abraham called that place, verse 14, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And then in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 22, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, but because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Indeed, it all came true. Through Abraham's offspring, all nations have been and blessed because through Abraham's offspring we receive Jesus Christ our Savior. Now sometimes, oh, there are so many things we could pull out of this story, aren't there? Well, go ahead this afternoon, go home and study Genesis 22 and pull out whatever it is that God has for you to meditate on. I want to suggest to you that what we ought to think about right now is that sometimes God speaks to us directly like he spoke to Abraham. But sometimes it's not that simple. You know, I get nervous, quite frankly, when I hear some people talk about hearing from God. Do you? It, it, it depends who the person is, but frankly, some people are just liars. <laughs> right? Some people say they heard from God. No, they didn't. It's just what they want, and they think that'll make me give it to them. It takes a lot of trust to believe that someone heard something that I didn't, especially on big items because I like things that I can understand. And so this whole hearing from God, I know this is, this is loaded with all kinds of minds and pitfalls, but we can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. We can't say just because it's difficult, it must not happen. Just like Melanie talked about, God guides and speaks to us. God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to so many prophets. And now in these days, we have seen that Jesus came to earth. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven and he said, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit dwells in those who believe. And so the Holy Spirit, part of God, speaks to us. The Holy Spirit, we've got this whole Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, all fully God, and yet in their different roles, they work, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us and speaks through us and engages with us today. 
So how do we hear from God? Really, what does this look like? Well, two things. I want you to listen regularly and I want you to listen actively for God and to God. How do we hear from God? Well, we listen regularly. Understand that the scripture paints a picture all the way from Genesis until Revelation that communing with God should be normal. It should be a normal, regular part of the life of the Christian. We don't get to walk with our Lord in the cool of the day the way Adam and Eve did. We are still living in a broken world right now and the Lord has not made everything right. And yet we see story after story in the New Testament of people being close to God even when they can't see him. God's not just a when I really need him kind of a God. God is always present. And listening to God is a practice that should be an all-the-time kind of thing. But sometimes God is more quiet, right? And it's in those times where, where we lean on one of the other ways that God speaks. God speaks through his scripture. We have the Bible, which is always available, quite frankly, to all of us. On your phone, on your iPad, in a written form. And hopefully some of you have it written on your hearts. God speaks through scripture, available to us all the time. And if, if we're frustrated that we're not hearing anything in our hearts, well, go to the word. This is our absolute, sure, guaranteed word from God. And we can see it in writing. Don't forget that God speaks through scripture. But I want to encourage you not just to listen regularly, church, but listen actively. Listen actively, because what I've learned and what Melanie told you about is that sometimes God does speak to our hearts through his Holy Spirit in a way that is never, ever contrary to Scripture, but is often more personal than what the Scripture delivers. For Melanie, it was, it was thinking about and talking about what does it look like for her to be a mother, for her to be pregnant, right? That's a bit more particular than how the Scripture addresses Melanie or me or us as a couple. God was speaking to her. But then you heard her talk about looking in the mirror with red eyes, hearing some other voice that was not God. So how do you know? How did she know? How can you know? If you're not sure whether you're hearing from God, how do you deal with this? Well, here's a couple things that you can do. If you're hearing those voices and you're a healthy person, first of all, test what you're hearing against the scripture. If you hear anything that is contrary to what you see in the Bible, you disregard that voice, you send it away, and you don't listen because that's not God. And if there's a voice that's speaking to you that's not God, you shall not listen to it. Not only is the scripture available for us to read and, and be nourished by, but the scripture is a wonderful litmus test for all the things that we hear, think, and feel. If it doesn't line up with what scripture says, and certainly if it is contrary to scripture, that is not the voice of God, that is the voice of the devil who is a liar. We don't listen to him. So as you listen actively, it means that you must test what you hear against the Bible. I also think it's important to test that direction with others. Now, for Melanie and I, what this looked like as we went through this whole infertility thing, it meant that we were just checking in a lot, even when I didn't want to talk about it. Even when emotions made it difficult for us to talk about it. It meant that we were talking about things together. Husbands and wives, those of you who have made commitments to each other for the rest of your lives... 
Understand that you are, in the eyes of God, you are one. You are one body, and God will guide you as one. Husbands and wives, if you are both seeking God and you're not aligned yet at the same spot, that means it's not time for you to act yet. Here's what it looked like for us. We went through this thing of, of we're not getting pregnant. Well, we, do we do this medical procedure or do we do adoption or do we do foster care? And, and there was a time where, where I said, you know, that's adoption thing. That sounds pretty good. And Melanie said, I don't know. I'm not hearing that yet. And then some time would go by and she would come back. You know, this adoption thing sounds pretty good. And I said, I don't know. I'm not still feeling it. Oh, and we danced that dance for years. And it stank. That is no fun. But I had gotten great advice from a pastor long ago who said, okay, as a husband and wife, you can seek God together. And if God is telling you one thing, Jesse, and he's telling you another thing, Melanie, and they both seem to be in line with God's plan, and they both seem to be in line with scripture, but you're not yet in line with each other, well, you just stay where you are because when God wants you to move, he will tell you to move. We can get into all kinds of dynamics about how husbands and wives do that and how that works in those particular roles. But what I'm telling you is that we knew in this situation that we both had to be in the same spot because we were doing this thing together. So as you're listening actively to God, if you feel like you're kind of getting a sense that God is telling you something, test it against scripture, but then test that direction with others. In this case, I was testing it with my wife. She was testing it with her husband. And we could talk about what are you hearing? What's it sound like? Where's the word? And when we were told, both of us, that we should enter into adoption, we both knew it. And that was the time to go. We had prepared we had gone through the orientation. We had had house studies. We had, we had been through some of those trainings that needed to happen, but we knew that it wasn't time to say yes until God brought us back to that same point. Test this direction with your friends. Do you, have, do you have people in your life who know the Lord? Do you have somebody in your life who prays with you or for you? Do you have anybody whose name you know in this room right now? Okay, there's somebody that you can test things with. If you're not sure if God is speaking to you, if you're a little bit confused, don't just try to figure it out by yourself. Even as you study scripture, sometimes our minds play tricks with us. Talk to a trusted friend. You saw a whole line of elders and their wives up here today. Talk to one of them. Hey, this is what I think I'm hearing from God. Does this make sense? I wanna hear from somebody else because my emotions are really high. I don't quite understand the scriptures and how it applies to this. Can you help me out? Test this word that you're hearing that might be from the Lord. Test it against the Bible. Test its direction with others. And test the direction with God. Now, what's so amazing about this story with Abraham is Abraham simply said, God, here I am. And he heard it so clearly that he was able to go do that without any questions. Sometimes we don't hear quite as clearly, do we? Sometimes we struggle to understand. I want to submit to you that as you test the words that are coming into your mind as you test them against the Bible, as you test them with others, test that direction with God. Have any of you ever been offended when somebody you love said, I I'm sorry, could you say that again? I didn't quite understand. No, that's not offensive. It's offensive and it's a pain in the neck when somebody says, huh, for the ninth time in the row. But if somebody simply says, wait, I I'm not sure, I, I didn't understand you, Chris. Chris, could you just be more clear. Oftentimes, that's how we clear things up. Do you think God gets offended when his children say, God, I'm not sure if I heard you correctly. Could you please tell? No, God is our father. Sometimes you need to ask that next question if you feel like you're hearing from God. And this is what it looks like. And this is how I practice this. Maybe this will be helpful for you. 
just get some confirmation. And, and in my prayers, I will often say, God, I think I hear you saying that I should buy the blue car instead of the red car. I think I hear you saying that I should have this meeting and not that one. God, is that right? And it's amazing how often God will give some sense of, yes, that's what I said, go do that. Now, that's in addition to checking it with scripture. It's in addition to testing that direction sometimes with others, but test directions with God, talk with God. God wants to relate to us. He doesn't want to just be some despot sitting on high, moving chess pieces on a board. God loves us and wants to relate to us. Finally, just recognize that there are items that God allows us to work on. We're not, we're not pawns who have to check in on every little thing. Should I have the Cheerios or the Rice Krispies? Sometimes God just says, pour yourself a bowl of cereal and eat. This is why we have the scriptures. It's why we have our minds. It's why God gives us wisdom so that we can be discerning. Because God doesn't always give us a specific direction on every single little thing. But here's the trap that we fall into. Some of us have now taken that and said, well, why do I need to talk to God at all? Can't I just figure it all out? And I want to say, well, maybe, but you're telling me you don't have a moment to ask the creator of the universe to weigh in? You're in too much of a hurry to hear from the one who literally knows everything? Oh, that's a sad life. We don't need to be paralyzed in our analysis of, of every little thing, but, but we want to be, especially on these big, life-changing things, we want to be listening for God together. We want to make sure that, that we know where God's calling us. And even on the little things, we want to make sure that we're walking with God and we're open because maybe God just has something for us that's a little better than the other thing, and, and there's a blessing in that. I wonder, I wonder if you listen to God regularly through your prayer time and just as you're walking around, God, I love you. God, would you speak to me? God, would you show me something? God, would you guide me? I, I wonder if that, could, if that could ramp up your faithfulness a little bit. And in the times when you think you might be hearing from God, if you could test that against scripture, and if you could test that with other believers, and maybe even ask God another question, if you could do all those things together, do you think that might help you to be more clear about the direction that God is leading you? I think it could be helpful. And I'm just gonna invite you now to walk with this God who loves us enough to speak to us and direct us and who is powerful enough to provide for us in just the right way and in just the right time, even if it doesn't fit our plans or our hopes or line up with our own agenda. That's the God we serve. That's the God I'm trying to tell you about. This is the God who speaks in so many different ways. And this is the God who will guide us when we need the guidance. Would you pray with me, church? Lord God, thank you Thank you for the many ways that you've guided so many of us over the years. Lord, you are an amazing God. And you've spoken in so many different ways, through so many different people. God, help us to hear you and to know your voice better and better and better. I thank you and praise you for the way that you've helped Melanie and me to grow over these years, to grow closer to you and, and to learn more about how to interact with you. I thank you for the blessings that you've given us. And I thank you for Bree. 
But Lord, as a church, we have so many stories that we can tell of of your faithfulness to us. Thank you, God, for the ways that you've come through. And and we could tell story after story about the ways that you've guided us through decisions and through through choices that had to be made that were difficult or, or big or expensive or contentious. Lord, you have shown up over and over and over. We trust that you will always. But God, help us to all grow closer closer to you and closer to each other. Helps to all grow closer and to just be able to commune with you a bit more deeply as we walk through this life to which you've called us. Lord, we love you and praise you in the name of your son, your only son, the one whom you love, Jesus Christ. Amen.